Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Finally, at long last, I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on the Pistols Firing Podcast. Colby, I almost kind of forgot how to say the intro. It's been so long. (laughs) Carson, I think that there's a decent chance, and I don't want to jinx it, that our schedules might start to normalize a little bit where we can get back into a little bit of a routine here. Yep. You had a baby. Uh, I went to Mexico for a week. You, uh, you've been doing a lot of work with, with golf channel and, you know, we've been kind of adjusting to our new careers. So there's been a lot going on for us since, uh, since really toward the end of football season, but, uh, we're, we're back at it. We're going to have Marshall Scott on the show today to talk more about the uh, OSU spring game, quote unquote. I use that in quotes. Uh, but first it's here from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit. Com. And I wanted to have Marshall on to talk about it. Obviously, he covered it, got to talk to players and coaches. Uh, Colby, did you did you make it to Stillwater for the spring game, or did you go to the, the baseball game? So, made it to Stillwater yesterday for the OSU-TCU series finale. Uh, did not make it up Saturday. Just wasn't going to be able to do both days with the baby. So, we went up to the baseball game yesterday. And kind of glad it worked out the way it did with the severe weather coming in Saturday night. It was nice to be uh, hanging out at home. Yeah. And I, yeah, this, that was a great greeting to come back home to was the severe weather. I was like, ah, I'm really back in Oklahoma. Oh, what time did you get back? Well, we flew in Friday evening. So before okay. like the bad, the bad weather, it was really, as you know, and everyone listening knows it's been psychotically windy. It was a, one of the rougher descents in that wind on Friday, but we, we made it home safe and sound and really had no travel issues, which was a is a huge rarity these days. So that was nice. The, the lines were short at the airport, even for customs. So we kind of danced through the raindrops to make it home exactly on time and maybe a little, little earlier. So that was good. Uh, we're going to have Marshall on here in just a couple of minutes. Chloe. I wanted to bring up to you, like, it's frustrating for me, you know, even if I'm not in Mexico, just trying to follow OSU spring game for the last 15 years, you get like a couple of random tweets, there's virtually no coverage of it because it's not on TV anywhere. Mike Gundy doesn't seem to care about that. And you look down the road in Norman, they've got 75,000 fans because obviously that's there's a whole lot going on down in Norman. I don't mean to bring them up, but just it seems like other programs of, of OSU stature seem to make much more of a, a spectacle of the spring game. Does that Has that bothered you as much as it's kind of irked me a little bit? Yeah, honestly, Karsten. I don't think it has. I don't think it has. You know, it, it's great. They put a whole bunch of people in, you know, they're trying to prove to the, the girl that dumped them that they're still hot. That's fine. Have your fun. I don't know. Oklahoma State just has never really been about that. I uh, I read something last week in The Athletic, like money spent per win in college football, which makes Mike Gundy looks like the wizard of all wizards. It, it's just, I don't know. It's never really been a priority for Oklahoma State, and I don't feel like it's hurt the program. I really don't. Now, Obviously, if Oklahoma State could pack Boone Pickens Stadium to the rafters and just have people overflowing the, the top section, yeah, that would be great, and that would be make news and make headlines and all this stuff. But I don't know. I just I feel like Oklahoma State as a program kind of knows where it lives, 
and doesn't rely on things like that as much. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State's not about the show and flashy and all that stuff. Oklahoma State's about going out and getting a bunch of really solid three stars and putting in the work uh, and going out and trying to win 10 games. So I, I totally understand the frustration with it, especially the fact that over the last half decade or so, it seems like we normally don't get a spring game. We normally end up getting practice. Uh, so I understand the frustration there, but for whatever reason, it's never re- really been something that's bothered me. Well, I, I can certainly see that perspective, and we are now joined by by Marshall Scott, owner of, of Pistols Firing. He covered the spring game, and, and Marshall, thanks for thanks for joining us. I was just bringing up to Colby, uh, just the lack of really a, a spectacle of a spring game in Stillwater. There's it's not on TV. There's very little information out there about it. it just seems like, and, and the reason I bring it up even more so this off season for the spring is you got Mike Gundy up there saying we got a logo too. We're we're big time and you know, other big time programs, their games are on ESPN. Their spring games are, I mean, oh, you didn't because they have that weird Bally sports uh, third tier rights or second tier rights, whatever it is deal going on. But Marshall, does, what's your kind of opinion on the way Oklahoma State handles the spring game? Yeah, um, first of all, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, yeah, it's, I can see kind of both sides of it. I could see why some would be frustrated that, you know, because you just kind of look around the country and it's, you know, kind of a big recruiting deal for for a bunch of different programs if anything um that they're able to you know like host all these people and it's so like pomp and circumstance and even though like even like spring games are generally kind of disappointing um you know you don't you still don't find a whole lot out and i do think there is some benefit to having it be a practice from long-term stuff and i kind of uh, caught the end of what colby was saying i kind of think that that's kind of i think mike gunny kind of likes that that it is a practice that they can you know get a little bit more out of it and, and that it's like somewhat better for them in the long term, but then, you know, while it might be better for the on-field product, you kind of worry about the brand aspect of having a big pomp and circumstance of a spring game. So I don't really know how I feel about it. I kind of see both sides of it. The, the, like a spring game in normal circumstances doesn't, you know, get me too excited. Like if it was like a normal game, like that wouldn't, I, I'm still not that excited about it. So I can kind of see both sides of it, but I can understand why people, um, Oklahoma State fans, might be a little upset that it's it's always it seems to always kind of be like this. And I I just look at you know, you know they don't even put fans on on one side of the stadium. It just kind of it's not a great photo op when people take pictures from their side of the stadium and it looks like no one's there. So I don't know. I, it, it's not a huge gripe, and I, I'm with you, Marshall. Like once the game starts, usually spring games, no matter if there's eighty thousand people there, once it starts, you're just kind of like. Uh, this isn't that great. So I, I certainly understand that too, but uh, let's, let's talk about the spring game. Marshall, you were there, you covered it. I, I wanted to start. I mean, should we be freaking out about two interceptions from Spencer Sanders already? It's not even fall yet. And I'm, I'm going I'm to ask you about a, a pick six and another interception. Is this just, I, I could just, once I found out that happened, I could just hear the takes coming from Twitter that Spencer's just never going to change that is he's just, he's never going to turn the corner. Was it that big of a deal? And just what's your thoughts on the way he played? Yeah, right whenever uh, the first one kind of left his hand and you could see that Jabbar Muhammad had a jump on it, I was just like all, all of the Twitter just started kind of popping in my head. But uh, the second one, if anything, it was kind of Brendan Presley's fault. It kind of hit him right in the stomach and it, it popped into a Lyric Rawls' hand, I believe. And, I, you know, I, I put – I tallied stats as best I could in terms of completions and attempts and interceptions and things like that. And whenever I put it in our forum in the chamber, I, I mentioned, I was like, please, please, please do not overreact to, you know, 15 passes in a spring game. Uh, you know, the, the ball that Jabbar Muhammad ended up picking off, I, I think you could say that one was a bad ball. 
Um, I think the one that he threw to Brennan Presley, I, I really think that he kind of fit that in a tight window and, and Brennan just couldn't kind of hang on to it. So I, you know, I'm not ready to overreact. I'm not ready to put uh, either Gunnar Gundy or Garrett Rangel in at quarterback. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just kind of, it is what it is at this point. I think with Spencer, I'm not sure that you're going to get a whole lot of, like, I don't think it's going to change show drastically over the next, you know, one or two seasons, however much longer he stays for. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it's worth overreacting to his, I believe he had 17 or 19 attempts, um, in a spring practice. Now, Marshall, you mentioned Gunner, you mentioned Garrett Rangel. It's always fascinating to me whenever the coach's son is on the team. It was fascinating to me in the NBA when we had it with Doc Rivers and Austin Rivers. It's just, it adds a whole new dynamic that I would imagine would be very difficult for a coach because you want to give your kid all the opportunities to earn their way onto the field, onto the court, whatever the case may be. You also don't want to play that favorite. You don't want there to be nepotism there. So you almost make them want to make them work harder to earn it. Did we see anything Saturday? You, you know, we had a little bit of 11 on 11 for Spencer and then seven on seven for Garrett Rangel and then 11 on 11 for Gunnar Gundy. Did we learn anything that can give us a hint as to who the backup quarterback is? So I think the way that Gundy said, so I, I literally thought whenever I saw Garrett come out second, um, but it was for a seven on seven. I was like, oh, okay, Garrett is, they're viewing him as QB two. But I think afterwards um, Gundy said that, they went with the ones, then they did some seven on seven, then they went with the twos. And that second group of 11 on 11 um, was Gunnar Gundy. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think that they view him as a scholarship quarterback. You know, he's a walk on, but he did have a couple of, uh, you know, division one offers to play at, I believe, Eastern uh, Michigan was one and uh, Toledo maybe was the other. So I, I do think that they view him as a scholarship quarterback. I do think that, that there is a legitimate, you know, kind of QB2 battle going on. Um, and it, it's, it's crazy. I, I was impressed by both of them, honestly. Um, Gunner, he had a really good throw to, uh, Talon Shetron, um, out on the sideline. It might've been in his first 11 on 11, maybe a second. Um, and then that ball across the middle to, to Shetron again, the one that Shetron ended up coming a little up a little gippy on. Um, I thought that was a really good ball. So I, I don't think that, you know, it's just straight nepotism. Um, and Mike kind of talked about it last year where he said, you know, it, this is going to be hard for Gunner because he's the coach's kid and everybody's going to, you know, be viewing at it a certain way. And I, I think that's right. I think, I don't know, it, it is a weird deal. I, it's really interesting. Um, you know, the story of Gunnar Gundy kind of writes itself if he does ever get in um, for some meaningful football. Uh, but with that being said, you know, Gary Rangel, he impressed a lot too. He was really accurate or as Mike Gundy says, accurate um, with the way he kind of distributed the ball. I think he came out, I, I think he was better than a lot of people thought that he was going to perform a little bit. Uh, but again, it's, you know, I think they both had 24 passes in a spring game. So I, I'm not ready to jump ship and, and, and say one or the other is the guy yet. But I think right now, based on kind of what Gundy said, that that Gunner is QB2. Uh, but I, I do think it will be a battle going into the fall. I've heard Gunner's played pretty well. I think, mean, I obviously covered him when he was in high school. He, he's a good quarterback on his own merit, besides the name and, and, and number he wears, his dad's, his dad's old number on top of that. Um, I, I did want to ask you about also the, the guy I was most excited to see was Ollie Gordon. And he goes down with a shoulder injury very early on. I, I, I'm just curious what you've heard about him. And I had a follow-up about Dominic Richardson. But first, to just what, what do you think about Ollie Gordon and, and things you're hearing around the program? Because I think there's a lot of excitement about, about him. Yeah, Ollie's kind of become, you know, a, a cult hero um, among the fan base already just because he's this ginormous running back, four-star recruit. Um, and, and then it, it just you could just see the rain cloud come over where already there weren't a ton of people in the stands. Um, they were already having a practice instead of a spring game. And then this one kid that everybody's excited to see goes down is his first or second carry. 
Um, but um, he he went to the locker room, came back in a sling. Uh, Gundy said afterwards that if it was you know like a game, if this was September or something, that that he would have gone back in and played. Um, so it sounded like it was just a little AC sprain or something like that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard good things about him. It, it'll be tough. I've also heard really good things about Jaden Nixon, who's expected to be RB2 this year. Um, so, you know, past Dominic Richardson and, and then Jaden Nixon, uh, I think there will be some carries to kind of divvy out between uh, the, those remaining guys. And I think Ollie's kind of at the front of the line for that. Um, you know, health is, I, I guess, a concern, but everybody's really excited to see him. And it's kind of a shame that, A, none of the running backs ran particularly well because they had, you know, seven scholarship offensive linemen uh, healthy. So th- there wasn't a whole lot that they could do otherwise. But yeah, it, it was definitely disappointing to see Ollie go down that early and then kind of just not get to see him for the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah Mikey, no. sorry, oh, I, was, I, had, I had a real quick follow-up on since I'm talking running backs, Colby, real quick. Just uh, Mike Gundy said, this shocked me when I read it. He was asked about Dominic Richardson potentially being a featured back. And he said he didn't have a choice. He's going to get 18 to 20 carries and we're going to, Essentially, we're going to ride him. I don't ever remember Mike saying that short of having a Kendall Hunter or a Joseph Randall. Anytime there's ever been a non-incumbent running back, he, and even when he has had incumbent running backs, he said, "Ah, oh, well, we're going to use three or four guys and they're all going to play. He's never quite come out that strongly that I can recall. And I, I go back really till to Randall and Hunters as far back as I can remember him giving that big of an endorsement for a number of carries to a, to an RB one that, that surprised me. I mean, we're, we all like Dominic Richardson. I certainly do. I thought he deserved more carries in his career thus far, but did that surprise you at all that he was just so adamant that, that he would be the man? I don't necessarily think so. I, I think they weren't exactly sure what they had with Jaden Nixon for a little bit. Um, they, they knew about his speed. And then whenever he got in, I think it was a TCU game. He had that like 63 yard touchdown. That was, that was obviously cool. And I think this spring he's kind of raised eyebrows a little bit more, but um, I, you know, it, it was, we, I remember back to justice Hill when they're like, yeah, we need to get him 15 carries a game. And everybody was like only 15, like, well, why, why, why so low? And then, you know, with Dominic, I, I don't know if it's, you know, body wise that, you know, Dominic's more of a bruiser. He's a little bit more big body than a guy like Justice Hill was, but uh, I don't know. It, it's weird because the, the guys behind him at this point are so young that maybe they, maybe Mike doesn't quite know what they have yet with them. Um, they did offer, uh, but the Buffalo transfer who ended up going to Georgia tech. So it seemed like they were trying, I, I think he's just kind of scared of the youth um, at the position right now behind Dominic Richards. And he's kind of the only known quantity of the group. Um, they think they've got something really good with Jaden Nixon, obviously, um, the two four-star running backs in, in, in Ollie and C.J. Brown, that's exciting, but they're still, you know, young guys. Ollie Gordon goes down on his first carry or whatever at the college level. So um, I, I'm not sure it surprised me too much, but it, it kind of surprised me a little bit to saying that, you know, like, I don't know, he doesn't have a choice. I, I, it could have been, like, motivating, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, I think he'll kind of solidly be the guy next year. I, I think they are really excited about Jaden Nixon, but uh, it didn't surprise me too much just because we know kind of we kind of know how Mike is with freshmen – um, and, and kind of be worried of, of what they'll project to. Yeah, he's got some trust issues with the young kids. Now, Marshall, I want to go to the other side of the ball. Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper are not walking through that door. Marshall, who is walking through that door? Mason Cobb. He's, uh, he's been the hot, he's probably been the hottest name of, of kind of spring camp. Um, wearing number zero now, which is an awesome number for anybody to wear, um, especially a linebacker. Kind of reminds me of a what did Goldberg wear in, in the longest yard? Did he wear an X or something like that? Yes, so that, yeah, so that's kind of awesome. He's got a like a tattooed sleeve down one arm. Um, so that's that's exciting. Looks great. Going to be, you know, use me 
uni heisman uh, candidate every game say that's what you're you're speaking my language on the uni heisman yeah. front yeah and so you know he looks the part and, and then i've i've heard heard really good things about him throughout like fall practices last year but there's kind of just no way that he was going to you know get into regular snaps with with the guys in front of him so it, it sounds like him uh, aside from that um you're looking at xavier benson the uh juco transfer who was originally at texas tech um lamont bishop and, and then i'd heard some good things about cameron farrar who uh according to cody nagel just recently entered the transfer portal today um so that, that's kind of going to be a hit i think if you know one of those guys gets banged up a little bit throughout the year um they're going to rely on a nick martin a jeff robertson um kind of one of those guys but kind of the hot name throughout spring camp was uh was mason cobb and then we got to talk to him one day and he he was awesome and really good interview so uh, i'm kind of looking forward to to what he has to offer yeah, sounds like there's a lot to like. Um, this is a guy I like a lot, and everyone is really excited about is Talon Shetron. He he got banged up too, kind of like Ollie Gordon, but he did make a lot of plays when the ball was thrown his way. And boy, the, the hype is already building, Marshall. I mean, there's there's a lot of people already saying this kid's going to be the next great receiver at Oklahoma State. And there's been a long list of those. Um, has he lived up to the hype in, in your mind, just in terms of what you saw, not not just in one game, but just kind of what you're hearing being around the program? Yeah, I think so. You know, I talked to Casey Dunn about him. What was it last week? I think, and you know, he said he's still. I, I believe the term he used was swimming. Um, it's all still kind of new to him, and that Casey, you know, had to remind himself that he's going to prom next weekend. Uh, but you know, I, I everybody said he's got all the tools. Like it's just a matter of time uh, for kind of whenever he steps out. And and he looked, he kind of looked outstanding um, at the spring game. How does he kind of shape into the 2022 roster? Um, that's kind of kind of be hard to say obviously you've got Jaden Bray out there um you got the green twins both looking really good Braden Johnson is back um obviously Brendan Presley's gonna get his target so I'm not exactly sure how that translates into 2022 uh but 2023 and beyond you know it's kind of a lookout and, I, and I'm not that's not to say that he won't you know maybe somebody goes down with an injury or he's just you know they can't keep him off the field because he's that good but um yeah I, I try to temper expectations as much as possible uh, but with a guy that's that highly recruited, he flipped from Oklahoma to go to Oklahoma State. Um, that's another kind of just story that writes itself with with how good that he seems to be. And then obviously he showed out at the spring game, the the ankle or whatever it was at the end kind of put a damper on things. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just excited as you are with him. Marshall, I saw a story last week in The Athletic about Mike Gundy and Mike Gundy's tenure at Oklahoma State. It's been a roller coaster. Man, it was it was great early on. It was I'm a man, I'm 40. It was the the Tennessee flirting, all that stuff. The the kick six uh, where Tyreek brings it back and maybe keeps Mike Gundy from going to Tennessee. The Chuba stuff, and then now where we are today, where everybody's in love with Mike Gundy, and it seems like he's totally rejuvenated the program. And the story I saw in the Athletic was basically accounting for dollars per win like how much money are you spending based on how many wins you're getting in college football and Mike Gundy just seems to be an absolute wizard in maximizing his budget at Oklahoma State are we underappreciating what he's doing in real time are we going to look back on this in 30 years and not realize what we had while he was here I think that that will almost definitely be the case there have been times throughout Gundy's tenure where some of it's been warranted to that, you know, people have said, oh, like, I think it's time for him to move on or retire or this and that. And I, like, who, who are you going to get? Like, who, what risk are you going to take in hopes that that person is better than the, you know, consistency that Mike Gundy's kind of brought to the program? Uh, that, that athletic article is crazy um, that, you know, Oklahoma State was the second best among Power Five programs, um, second most efficient, I guess, in, in money spent per win. And a lot of that has to do with kind of the 
cheap price tag that they've gotten Gundy at. Obviously, he flirted with different schools to get a little bit of a pay raise every now and again, but it wasn't like, you know, they were, you know, shelling out millions and millions and millions of dollars for him whenever, you know, he ends up on a list like that. And the only team that did it better was K-State, and they had you know, about 10 less wins, and that was all under Snyder. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's, it's an inevitability that when Mike Gundy retires or moves on or whatever happens, that, you know, this – that whoever is next, I, I would not want to be the next coach at Oklahoma State just because of a. You'll have great resources. It, it you know the, there's a nice fan base here. Stadium's nice, but to kind of have to live up to all of the things that Gundy's kind of brought to the program, I think it's going to be nearly impossible. I think it's going to be you know whoever it is is, is probably going to you know disappoint quite a bit of people. It's sad to say, but yeah, I, I think it's only a matter of time before people are are wishing that Mike Gundy was their coach after he, after he leaves. Yeah, and I think I've always said, like, I got into an argument with an OU fan one time, and I was like, Mike Gundy's a Hall of Fame coach. And he kind of just, like, laughed at the notion. I go, well, wait a second. Do you think Bill Snyder's a Hall of Fame coach? He's like, oh, yeah, of course. Well, I was like, they have basically the same careers. I mean, Bill Snyder won two Big 12 titles. Mike Gundy won a Fiesta Bowl. I mean, they're very similar. And that's why, just like Kansas State, OSU's kind of gotten a discount because he is an alum and and wanted to be there, much like Bill staying his entire tenure there at Kansas State. So I think it's a really good comparison, and I think you're right. I think you can look up the road at Kansas State, what they've done since Snyder's left. That that certainly could happen at Oklahoma State. That's why I'm excited about the way Mike's talking about the program, the way Chad Weiberg and Dr. Casey Strum are talking about the program. I think they are trying to position themselves to where they're on a much firmer, bigger platform than a Kansas State, and I think they're certainly on that trajectory. And this is my last question for you, Marshall, before we get you out of here. Just being around the program, you've covered OSU long enough now to, to, to spot little subtle differences. Like covering the team last year, the way that season ended, the way Mike's been in the aftermath since, have you kind of just covering the team, talking to Mike? I know the media's kept kind of at arm's length. We all know that. But have you sensed – a big difference in the program since all the Chuba stuff, since they had this great season and beat Notre Dame, just by being around the program every day, I was just curious your insight to, has there been a shift just in the overall vibe of, of being around the program every day? I think it kind of started, this is going to get real um, homery, I think, but I think it kind of started throughout last year, whenever Mikey kept saying that, you know, the guys are having a lot of fun practicing and that it was kind of making him nervous how much fun they were having because it's like, Hey, this is like, we need to take this seriously. Why are you guys like, you know, kind of joking around? And, and I think that that can kind of set in that those, you know, seniors that left and they're, you know, a couple of them came back for next year because of COVID, but that, that kind of culture, the quote unquote cowboy culture that gets pounded into our brains over and over again. I, I think that that can be a big deal in terms of, okay, how, you know, hard that group practice last year and how much fun they had then, you know, the young guys on the team, that's just kind of how they know college football. They're like, Hey, we work hard and then we have fun. Um, so I think, you know, Mike's mood with the media in particular, in particular kind of goes as the season goes, like if they're starting to have a down year, like kind of 2014 was my first year on campus. So I was just a lowly like soccer writer for the Ocala or whatever at the time. But I just remember how bad it seemed to get that year with not only on the field, but then kind of Mike's relationship with the media kind of started uh, to sour quite a bit. So I think that, you know, that'll always to an extent fluctuate, but with how great things have been, you know, this last year, you know, morale has been high. It seems like through everywhere. Um, the, the team, it seems to be practicing well, seems to be having fun, which I, I think can be a big, uh, you know, I, I think those two things can kind of go hand in hand. 
So I, you know, I do think that there has been a little bit of a shift um, as of late. I'm not exactly sure what to pin that on. I don't know if that's Chuba related. I don't know really what, where that came from. Uh, but I do think that like kind of times are changing a little bit. I think Gundy's kind of, you know, not he, I think he's going to be set in his ways to an extent, but I think he's kind of, you know, opened up a, a little bit. I think it's a, a little less like, oh, this is kind of just how things are now. I think he kind of had to do that with the portal um, and with transferring and with NIL and all that stuff. I think he's kind of, you know, realized that, hey, I've got to just, you know, kind of go with the punches. Like it, it kind of has to be how it is going to be. So I, I'm not exactly sure how it's changed or why it's changed, but I do think there's kind of this refreshed energy around things as of late. Yeah, you can certainly sense it. Any any uh, hot takes from from spring football before you get out of here? One Let's last uh, question. Any hot takes you got for us before we send you on your way? Hot take. There's always – I wrote about C.J. Tate um, on Saturday. There's always one receiver that seems to stick out that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, a couple of years ago is Braden Johnson. Last year it was uh, Jaden Bray. He had a really good spring game. This year is C.J. Tate. Walk on, Putnam City North uh, guy. Um, went to Tabor College in Kansas for a few years before coming back um, and walking on the program. He looked really good. Um, Gundy said that he's kind of been doing that all spring. I, I was able to talk to him afterwards and I kind of asked him, I was like, you know, like this is a hard school for a receiver to walk onto and then get playing time. You know, whenever you've got, you know, say what you will about Oklahoma State recruiting, but Casey Dunn, he's going to get at least one dude um, every class, if not, you know, three or four. So I, I kind of asked him about that and he said, yeah, but if you have the right mindset, like, you're going to compete every day and you're bound to get better. You just like, it, it's impossible not to with the amount of guys in the room. So I don't know if he breaks in. Um, Gundy said he wants to use about eight wide receivers this year as a dog is barking it down, down my. Well, those uh, are Colby's dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, CJ Tate. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's, I, Gundy says he wants to use eight receivers this year. I don't know if he breaks into that eight, just with how deep Oklahoma state is with, with all the guys as coming back. Um, but I, I think he was kind of a surprise of the spring game. And Gundy said that he's kind of been doing that all spring, that, that he's just looked really good. So um, there's a hot take to be had there. Um, it was so hard because we didn't see a lot. We don't know what the offensive line is going to look like. The running game looked dreadful, but they were also, you know, down so many offensive linemen that it was nearly impossible. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's really hard. I think that there's a chance this is getting a hot take, so I'm going to qualify it with a lot of things. I don't think that the secondary is going to play as well as last year. I do not think that they will be as good defensively as last year, just because everybody was so experienced. They all, you know, were born and bred in the system, but I think there's an argument to be made that there is more talent on the back end. Um, you kind of look at Kendall Daniels. I've heard really good things about Lyric Rawls. Um, Jason Taylor has been playmaking forever. Um, they're really excited about both those corners. I think from a, like just pure talent standpoint, I think there's an argument to be made that there could be more talent in the back end of the defense this year than there was last year. Now, with that being said, it's going to be these guys first time playing with each other. I do not think that it's going to, you know, really translate into them being better than that group last year was, but I think from a pure talent standpoint, they've, they've really got a lot of dudes on the back end of that defense. That's exciting. Great, great stuff, Marshall. Great insight. Again, sorry, uh, sorry, Colby had a baby and sorry I went to Mexico. Colby's <laughs> is far more understanding than, than my reason, but we love doing the podcast uh, for your website. We're going to continue to do it. And sorry, we've been a little MIA, but we're, we're back at it. And, and hopefully we're, hopefully we're accurate. Just Thanks, like uh, my Gundy. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, it's been, I listen, I, I obviously post them every, every time, but it, I, I listen all the time. It's been great. You guys have, have really done a great job. 
And uh, yeah, just looking forward to it. I hope that I may be in Mexico. I'm not quite sure that I'm ready to have a baby quite yet, but maybe I'll be in Mexico the next time. Yeah, baby steps. Go go to Mexico first, then you can worry about having kids. Baby steps. Well played, Carson. Well played. Yep. (laughs) All right, Marshall. Appreciate you. Thanks. See you. All right, that's Marshall Scott from Pistols Firing. A uh, great insight there, Colby. I, I loved his uh, I loved his hot takes with some just some little nuggets in there. You know, when when Mike Gundy, like I remember the, the CJ Tate stuff. I remember just being around the program. You start to hear who's doing stuff at practice because you're not able to watch. Obviously, what when he was kind of telling the story about Tate. Obviously, this guy has a different background. He was a four star recruit and Marcel Aitman, but the name I just kept hearing was Marcel Aitman. Marcel Aitman. This guy just makes plays every single practice. So while Aitman was a much more highly touted recruit, that, that that's how you really glean stuff on, on who's actually going to play next year and, and who's going to who play a role. So that's that's encouraging for Tate. And sounds like they got another receiver to throw the ball to. Yeah, it does. And that's big for Oklahoma State, obviously, with Tay Martin on the way out. You just have to keep funneling dudes through. And we know Brendan Presley's going to be a guy, but we're still kind of looking for who else is going to be there. And, and if Tate can be a guy alongside Jaden Bray, John Paul Richardson, some guys that we've seen some, do some good things, that would be big time. I don't know. There at the end when he was saying that this defense could be more talented on the back end, he didn't say better. He said more talented. I don't know. that Even that little statement could definitely fire up the uh, the locals. So, I'm I'm very excited to see what this defense looks like post Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper, Colby Harvell Peel, some of these other guys, Bernard Converse, um, Jim Knowles. You know, I'm very excited to see what Derek Mason can do with this crew. Yeah, and I, I think Marshall's kind of getting at what's been occurring, and that OSU's been recruiting better on defense, especially in the secondary. So I I can certainly see where he's coming from with that, but he he's right. They're not going to be as good. I mean, let's face it. They had the second best, you could argue first best, depending on who you ask, if you just want to go by NFL talent, Georgia had the best defense. But statistically, there was an argument to be made that Oklahoma State had the best defense in the country. So that's obviously going to be an incredibly high bar that they probably won't get to, but they don't have to be, you know, the best defense in the country for Oklahoma State to win the Big 12 next year. So that's that's certainly going to be worth watching. It's been a while since I've been excited to see changes and new players coming in on the defensive side. We're always sitting here talking about who's going to be the running back, who's going to be the receiver, who's going to be the quarterback. Well, now we're, we're talking linebackers and secondary, and that, that to me is a, a, a great sign for Oklahoma State with, with Derek Mason coming in. And I don't know, Cole, got, it's a spring game. There wasn't, there's not a whole lot to take from it, but I just I love the direction that, that Oklahoma State football is moving in and it's, I think I think Marshall's dead on that Gunny just seems more relaxed. I think he's kind of just realized this is my this is my place, this is my home, this is my last stop. I'm not going anywhere. And I think he he really feels the support uh, from the administration, and uh, that's a great thing for for him and and everybody else that that loves OSU football. Yeah, absolutely, it is, and you know that's why. You know, the, the way we started off this show was talking about the crowds and the, the publicizing of the spring game, the spring finale, whatever you want to call it. And as far as I'm concerned, man, keep packing that place in the fall. Keep supporting the team. It's just there's an upward trajectory that I feel like Oklahoma State football is on right now. Uh, and I'm not going to let a weak spring finale get me down on that because I, I feel like things are headed in the right direction. Uh, and we'll see this fall because we've seen this from Oklahoma State, right, Carson? We've seen glimpse of success high level success and then it fades and and then you have a year where you win six and it hurts man it hurts but then you get it back and you get a little success and then it kind of fades and you have a year where you win six 
We need to get to a point where it doesn't fade. And I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that uh, with Oklahoma State football. So hopefully this season kind of proves that, plays that out, uh, and we get another Oklahoma State team that wins 10-plus games. NFL draft is in Vegas this year. Is that right? Uh, I believe it is in Vegas, yes. Well, speaking of that, and to your point, every single year, and I hope you can find OSU's win total for me as I'm talking, I don't know if they're out yet. It's not on my uh, site that I refer to yet. But every single year, OSU's win total is, like, laughably low. If you, if, if you happen to be going out to Vegas, if not for the NFL draft but at all this summer, believe me, no matter what the number is, bet the over. Bet the over on OSU, bet the under on Texas, and thank me later. Uh, I didn't know if you are able to find the win totals, Colby, but I don't care what it is. I'm probably – unless it's, like – if it's nine, I'll think about it. I'll think about it pretty hard. But if it's like eight or seven and a half, I'm, I'm going over. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. It's Oklahoma State is constantly devalued by everyone nationally. And look, I get it. Oklahoma State's not big, flashy. They don't spend the money that other programs spend, but they get a lot of bang for their buck, like I was talking about earlier. So hammer the over. The over last year was, was it seven and a half last year, Carson? I think so. And I hammered the over. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, look, it's not free money because every so often you'll have the, the corn dog year where you think, oh, hammer the over and they'll win six or seven games and you'll just feel like you got absolutely roasted uh, on the under on that. But I think most of the time Oklahoma State's going to hit that. I, I don't actually have it in front of me. I would love to go back over the last 15 years and see what Oklahoma State's record is against the win total, the preseason win total. Yeah, last year it was seven and a half. I'm only finding last year's. But yeah, they they got to be one of the best in the country because – I always remember the year, the first year of Whedon um, and Kendall Hunter taking over. This is before Justin Blackman turned into Justin Blackman leading into the season. It was like, I think it was six and a half, and I hammered it, and they went like 10 and 0 to start the year. You know, they were just awesome. And yeah. nobody had any idea what they had unless you just follow Oklahoma State football. So let's see here. I, got, I can only find SEC win totals, which just tells you about the. Uh, Shocker. Level of interest in, in that. But anyway, if you're in Vegas, hammer hammer the over. Uh, let's get to uh, Bullets and BBs, Colby. I'll, I'll start. Uh, Bullet, I'm going with Talon Shetron. I keep hearing, you know, he, at one point he was a five-star, you know, top whatever in the country based on the, on the recruiting sites you, you want to find. And I'm hearing he's living up to that and more. Like, I'm hearing this kid is going to be a monster. And you could certainly see glimpses of that in the clips they posted in practice. And look, he didn't, he wasn't Justin Blackman out there on Saturday, but you could see why he is as hyped as he is. And I, I just, I can't wait to watch him play. I, I love the fact he's from Edmond, my hometown. He's Santa Fe, he's a Santa Fe wolf. We'll, we'll let that slide being an Edmond Memorial Bulldog myself, but. <laughs> I just I cannot wait to watch this kid on the field. I think he's going to play early and often. It might be a situation though, kind of like Tylen Wallace. You know, Tylen didn't play a lot at all his first year, until about the last two three games of the season. He really came on and was was playing in that loaded receiving core with Washington, Aitman, and uh, Tyron, and all the all those guys. He was getting playing time. And uh, Dylan Stoner, the fact that a true freshman was able to play in that receiving core, I think he's of the same ilk as a Tylen Wallace. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. I'm going to go uh, out of left field, Carson. I don't know if many people were expecting to hear this name today on the podcast. My bullet goes to Liana Bailey, 
from Oklahoma State women's golf, who is the Big 12 individual medalist. She won the Big 12 Women's Championship. Carson, no Kaylee McGinty, no Isabella Fierro, no problem, as Liana Bailey gets it done down in Hockley, Texas at Houston Oaks. And I want to remind everybody, the uh, NCAA regional, there's a, a regional being hosted at Carson Creek May 9th through 11th on the women's side. If you like golf at all, go out and watch. You will be amazed at how good these young women are at golf. And Liana Bailey gets it done, uh, wins the individual medalist honors. Oklahoma State finishes tied for second, just three shots back of Texas. So still a very good squad despite losing uh, their top two players to the transfer portal this spring. Yeah, that's they dealt with a lot of change and quote unquote adversity uh, in the off seasons. That's an impressive win for her. And I'm curious to see how they do and the men do. I know the men that got what rained out today. Is that right? Yeah, they got through uh, basically the front nine. So they're going to shorten the tournament from 72 holes to 54. They're going to finish the first round tomorrow morning, play the second round tomorrow afternoon. They'll play the third round at Whispering Pines in Trinity, Texas, just outside Houston on Wednesday. That'll be the third and final round to determine the Big 12 champion on the men's side. Why are they cutting it short? They have plenty of time before regionals. Well, regionals Carson, aren't until like mid-May, right? Yeah, regionals are May 15th. We've got to hurry up and get this thing finished so that we can all get ready for regionals. No, I have no idea why they're cutting it short. Um, they're playing Ludicrous. one of the top three-rated courses in Texas. Uh, maybe the course told them, I, and again, I don't know. This is pure speculation. Maybe the course told them, hey, you've got through Wednesday. Figure it out. Who knows? It's certainly worth a BB, but I'll go in a different direction. You know, it's... It's 2022. We've got cars that can drive themselves. We've got just an unbelievable amount of technology these days. Why is it so hard to make a statue that looks remotely similar to the person it is? Obviously, I'm referring to the T-1000 Terminator statue that is Baker Mayfield, but I'm not stopping there. You go to the, the ridiculous Cristiano Ronaldo statue and then just watch the NFL Hall of Fame ceremony every single year. When they unveil that thing, you always kind of like look at it with one eye kind of half open and just kind of squint and like, I don't know if that looks like Ed Reed or Ray Lewis or whoever it may be. <laughs> There's, It's 2022, Colby, and we have not figured out how to make a statue look like the proper person. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And Carson, you, you stole mine, so I'm going to go more specific with my BB. And I don't know if you saw this today, People were posting pictures on Twitter. I kid you not, Carson, two right feet on Baker Mayfield statue. They have two right feet on his statue. Go look at it. Go look at the pictures I saw earlier today. Two right feet on the statue. How do, how do we keep getting this wrong? It's 2022. We have 3D printers. We have every technology in the world to make these things look so incredibly precise and you would think that it was 2,500 years ago and we were in ancient Rome chiseling these out with a hammer and a chisel. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh, my God. He does have two right feet. <laughs> is, that, is that just the way the picture's fra framed? It, it looks like he has two right feet. You tell me. But in the pictures, it absolutely looks like he has two right feet. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. What do you think of Baker taking another shot at at OSU with the the pose, he said he, he said he's stiff arming little brother, and they got to live with that. What do you think of him? He just the the term never graduate gets thrown around, and Baker certainly uh, falls in line with that. Yeah, I get it. Baker's going through a hard time right now. Things have not worked out in Cleveland. They just paid uh, his replacement, who has 
a couple of off-the-field issues, to say the least. The most guaranteed money in the history of the NFL and his trade market appears to be zilch based on the fact that he is still a Cleveland Brown. Uh, a lot of pent-up frustration that he needed to take out somewhere. He figured we were an easy punching bag. It's fine. He, he's going through some things. Let's cut him some slack. Well, Brock Martin quote-tweeted the, the clip of Baker saying that and said, do you guys ever get tired of talking about us? Which I thought was a, a great response because normally it's the – you know, it's the lesser school, the quote-unquote little brother that always talks about big brother and, and just wants to put them down and get on their level. It's shifted quite a bit here. I mean, you don't ever hear OSU players talking about OU unless it's Bedlam week. But yet – They lose the game one time, and again, they don't know how to handle it. We talked about this for two months after Bedlam football. They lose it one time, they don't know how to handle it, and they, they feel the need to continue to talk about their supremacy to make sure that they hold on to it because they don't want to lose it. It's, it's really been brilliant to watch the uh, gymnastics they've done this offseason. It is, and I'm telling you what, Oklahoma State can absolutely go to Norman and win this year. I haven't thought that in many, many years, maybe ever. Uh, maybe because I'm just jaded and they never win uh, Bedlam unless, it, you know, some crazy things happen. But o Oklahoma State has the upper hand right now. And we kind of thought maybe last year might be the last year or some people did. I didn't. Might be the last Bedlam. Oklahoma State could 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 start a winning streak this year. I don't think that's out of the question because, look, they're not facing C.D. Lamb and, and, you know, those ridiculous gadget plays Lincoln would pull out of his sleeve, uh, you know, seemingly every Bedlam. Uh, I love what you're saying. I hope that you're right. I hope that you can understand the pessimist in me who's been an Oklahoma State fan my entire life who understands that winning streaks in Bedlam are a rarity. And, and as much fun as this offseason has been, I would love for next offseason to be just as much fun. There's just this, this cynical, just deep inside me, there's this cynicism about the, the, the words Bedlam, winning, and streak being said in that order in reference to football i think that's fair i think everyone listening can agree with you on that so i better just stop talking now and, and wrap up the pod we're, we're running out of time on our zoom anyway so colby it was great to be back with you thanks again to marshall scott for for joining us talk a little spring football and uh colby we'll get back with you hopefully uh, later this week yeah absolutely good luck to the cowboys down at whispering pines hopefully another big 12 championship is headed their way it's great to be back as always go pokes <laughs>